How do Christians face opposition? What should be our posture? In recent years in North America, there's been a lot of talk of a form of militant, muscular, and masculine Christianity that has arisen. Many see this version of the gospel, and the macho Jesus that often gets preached as part of it, as a corruption of the true gospel. We are called instead to humility, to Christ-like gentleness, to the bearing of the fruit of the Spirit that include goodness and peace. Well, in Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul writes some advice that could sound like it describes a militant form of faith. But today on Groundwork, we'll dig into that passage to see what Paul is really saying. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, this is now the final and sixth episode in our six-part series that largely follow the sequence of the six chapters of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, we're coming sort of the, to the bottom line. We're coming to the very, very end of the letter, the bottom line of uh, Christians living in Ephesus. And as we'll see, Daryl, uh, Paul's words to these people are from long ago and far away, but I, I think they're aimed straight at us in the church today, too. I think that it's important to understand, Scott, that whenever there are last words, they're going to be very important words. And they pretty much capstone a lot of the things that Paul is saying. I'm also looking forward to seeing the, the ancient truth mm-hmm. that comes from that time to this time so that we can learn what God has for us today. So uh, let's go and dig right into Ephesians 6 at the 10th verse. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Oh, I love these verses. I love that that everything is neatly designed and actually stacked in an order. Mm -hmm. Even the evil, the evil actually is stacked in an order as well. The devil's Mm -hmm. not like running around disorganized, but actually there are rulers, authorities, Mm -hmm. and powers in a situation that is organized. But then in history, we have this theology called Christus Victor, Mm -hmm. where it's about Christ winning. It's about victory. It's about overcoming the enemy. And we've seen that go in corrupt ways in our day. In our past, we've seen people take this too far, and it's unfortunate that they've misinterpreted what this verse means. It looks like this is a militant form of Christianity, of the of discipleship, and it is a relatively rare use of military imagery. And Paul uses a lot of imagery. He, he often uses um, imagery from the world of athletics, right? It compares uh, the Christian life to a race, like you got to be a marathon runner, you got to be in good shape. Sometimes he uses the imagery of waking and sleeping. In fact, I think earlier in Ephesians, it was wake up, O sleeper, oh, yeah. right? Most famously in Corinthians in particular, he used the image of the body. The church is like a human body with different parts. But here's an occasion where he um, talks about basically the attire that was worn by a Roman soldier in the army in Paul's day. 
And Paul often uses images to share a gospel truth. And I think he took a page from Jesus there. When Jesus does parables, he always uses mm-hmm. natural things to explain spiritual things. Right. And in the last episode, we talked about how Christ in the church was imaged by the marriage between the husband and the wife. And so Paul is always going to try to use whatever he can, anything but the kitchen sink, to make sure that you understand what the spiritual truth is in these verses. And what's interesting, uh, Daryl, is um, for us today, we don't usually have a lot of experience, except maybe in museums, of seeing somebody in, in full armor. But certainly the Ephesians saw Roman soldiers every day. They probably, you know, throughout the Roman Empire, they saw soldiers outfitted in this stuff. So this would have been familiar. In the next segment of this program, we're going to tick through all, what, six or seven of the very specific pieces of equipment, armor. But uh, for this segment, let's uh, take a step back and note something that's very important. Paul is describing this armament in terms of defense. This isn't offense. The posture here is a defensive one. So when you wear this armament that Paul is talking about, it really is about withstanding mm. attacks. It's not about going and doing this attacking yourself. So because you are going to be attacked, you're going to need some armor. If you go out there with, without armor, you're going to be badly hurt. So Paul is using the image to let us understand that these are the things that we need to do to defend and withstand the attacks. And, you know, Paul says that our, our enemies aren't flesh and blood, but these powers and authorities and principalities, that doesn't mean that the devil doesn't work through people sometimes. So it's not as though we aren't literally going to be attacked by other people. What you just said, Daryl, is very important. This outfit, this armor that Paul is describing is defensive, not offensive. We wear it so that we won't be defeated, but we don't uh, wear it to attack other people. And indeed, you know, sometimes, Daryl, in, in the history of the church, and now we could think specifically about the Crusades in the Middle Ages, when the church really did take a militant stance on the offense and they went forth to slaughter Muslims and Jews, the Crusades were a disaster for the church. Uh, it, it has never worked when the church has tried to act like a military army. But we are supposed to protect ourselves. And again, uh, look at the verbs that Paul uses here. You know, how often doesn't he say you're going to stand? Stand firm. Stand your ground. After you've stood, uh, you can endure everything. You extinguish flaming arrows shot at you. You don't throw arrows at other people. So it's very much indeed a defensive posture. It's important to understand that God likes to use people and the devil is a copycat. So he tries to use people in ways that are harmful and evil. So sometimes we will have disagreements with people or whatever. But Paul is not giving justification for a revolutionary war or anything like that. He's never really been talking about how to do this in a way to overthrow governments or, or fight in this way. So when Christians try to emulate what history has done in a secular world, then it's never been good for the the church. No, it's never been uh, Christ-like. And again, all of this is following on all of Paul's talk about mutual submission that we looked at in the previous program. So, you know, we're, we're supposed to be about service, not going on the attack. You know, when I was a kid, I used to really like singing that old hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers. I don't like it so much now anymore just because <laughs> of how it's been used. But in that hymn, it says, you know, that Onward Christians marching unto war, marching as to war. But Paul isn't talking about marching here. We're standing. 
We're right. standing our ground. We're standing firm. We're standing up for the truth. But that's very – and so despite the military imagery of armor here, we aren't supposed to be marching unto war. We're supposed to be a witnessing to the gospel even in how we, you know, withstand the attacks of the exactly. evil one. And in just a moment, we're going to tick through the specifics of this outfit, this armor, and we'll see how each one contributes to exactly that, witnessing to the gospel. So stay tuned. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. And Daryl, uh, we are in Ephesians 6, near the very end of this letter. And we've just suggested that when Paul talks about putting on the armor of God, it's meant to be completely defensive in nature. This is what protects us from being attacked spiritually or what keeps us safe when we are attacked spiritually. But it isn't what we put on so that we can go on the attack. And I think, Daryl, if we start going through the uh, individual pieces of armor that Paul sings out, I think we'll see uh, how this works. I think it's important to note that we will be attacked. Right. And not by normally by people, but by spiritual opposition in different ways. It's not if we get attacked. It's not if you're having a bad day or whatever. It's actually we will be attacked. So it's important for us to understand these different parts of the armor. So first, the belt of truth. Buckle this around your waist, Paul says. Now, Daryl, today uh, we mostly think of belts as things that hold your pants up, and that's relatively important, as you can sometimes find in airport security lines when they make you take off your belt and uh, you got to hang on to those pants. But that's really not the kind of belt Paul's talking about. This belt establishes truth. This is the belt of truth. So when we're we're wearing this belt, it is actually actually the idea that we are to be in service of God's truth. So truthfulness, being honest, walking in integrity, those kinds of things are actually what this belt symbolizes. And as Christians, we ought to live in the truth because Christ himself is the truth. He's the way, the truth and the life. Right. So again, think more of the belt that you know police officers wear. This is what they clip their radio on, their gun, their taser, their handcuffs. Utility belt. It's a utility belt. Yeah, like Batman. It's that kind of belt. But by being the belt of truth, as you just said, Daryl, it means whatever we carry with us has got to be in service of the truth. And, you know, when you're attacked by somebody, one thing that we're tempted with, and we see this on social media today, is that you could lie about your opponent. You could twist their words, quote only half of what they said, so you misrepresent them. Paul says, look, it doesn't matter if people are lying about you. You can't lie back. You have to be in service of the truth. So put on the belt of truth. And then next up, Daryl, the breastplate of righteousness. So you know a breastplate is designed to protect the vital organs, the heart, the lungs, the liver. These, these You can't live without these. Right. Um, if you do 
have a situation where you have those seriously injured, you could either die or you need to have them transplanted as soon as possible. So when someone throws something at your breastplate that is in place, then it will bounce off and you will be protected. Your heart will be protected. Your lungs will be protected. And I feel like the understanding of what breastplate of righteousness is, it goes deeper than just a physical protection. It also goes into deeper things. Exactly. It's like a bulletproof vest. You know, sometimes when the president of the United States throws out the opening pitch at the World Series or the beginning of the baseball season, he's exposed. So the Secret Service makes him wear a bulletproof vest underneath his shirt just because then if somebody shoots at you, I don't know, I don't know, uh, but I've seen it because that protects them. If somebody shoots a bullet, it's not going to hit their heart. It's going to bounce off. And that for believers is righteousness itself, Paul says. Righteousness. What is righteousness? Well, It's the gift we get from Jesus, right? We get credited with Jesus' righteousness, which means we are holy, uh, like Jesus is holy. And, you know, Paul and Peter at different times say, look, you should live such a good life that even if people try to accuse you of stuff, it'll be false. It'll bounce right off. Don't give them anything to accuse you of. Live such a good life of righteousness that you can't even be open to criticism. And if they do criticize you, that's because they're lying, and that's going to bounce off too. Yeah, I have a saying, Scott, that truth and righteousness prevail. So even if you lose the argument or if people blame you and accuse you, if you're walking in truth and righteousness, I think God vindicates that. And those accusations, whether they're written online or if they're spoken about you in secret, they will bounce off of you because God's covering you with his righteousness and his justification. You don't even need to defend yourself. It's his breastplate that he's given to you so that you can be protected. Excellent. I like that. Truth will out the Rich like to say. Yeah. So we got a belt, we got a breastplate, and third, there's some sort of footwear, some sort of boots that come from the gospel of peace, uh, of shalom. And again, so these boots, as we said earlier, these boots aren't meant for marching, right? You know, there's that, that old song, you know, the, these boots are made for walking, they're going to walk all over you. <laughs> these boots aren't made for walking. These boots are meant to uh, locate you in shalom. This is what grounds us. You need to be a, a peaceable person even when attacked. The boots are for standing because we started this verse of talking about standing our ground, standing firm during opposition. And so these boots will literally anchor us. But then uh, beautiful out of feet of those who bring the gospel of good news as as well, right? Exactly. Again, we're transparent to the gospel in this uh, ensemble here. Fourth, so uh, belt, uh, breastplate, some boots or footwear, and now fourth, similar to the breastplate, we have a shield, and the shield, Paul says, is faith. So faith is your belief in God, no matter what kind of accusations come to you. So the shield definitely is supposed to quench flaming darts from the enemy. The enemy is the accuser and the liar who's always trying to throw something at us that is not true. He's the father of lies, his native tongue is lying. But when you hold up your shield of faith, you actually believe in who Christ is and what he has done for you. And your righteousness, your salvation does not come from your work, but it comes from the finished work of Christ. And when you believe in him, he can quench those darts for you. Exactly. Faith is God's first gift of grace that enables us to receive all the other gifts, and it will protect us like a shield, Paul says. Fifth, the helmet of salvation, what protects our heads, our minds, uh, is salvation, another gift of grace, Daryl. 
the Bible says that in Corinthians that we have the mind of Christ. Mm. So we're in constant changing from our old mind to our new mind, but we also need to protect that mind with the salvation that comes with it. And that's really powerful to see that we can protect that as another vital organ. And now sixth, and finally, this is the only weapon, Daryl, that's mentioned in the ensemble, and it's a sword, but it's a particular kind of sword. It's the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, this is the one that's used to cut through your thoughts, your attitudes, the one that's sharper than any two-edged sword. It discerns your motives. It discerns your values. And this sword is the only offensive weapon that makes sure that we fight just like Jesus fought when he was tempted in the garden. He didn't fight with his fist. He fought with the scriptures. So we need to go in God's word and we need to equip ourselves with that to strengthen our faith and trust in God, believing the Bible promises that he gives us. Yeah, we usually think of a sword as cutting things down. You mentioned the garden, you know, when Peter cut the high priest servant's ear off and she said, don't do that. that. That's not the gospel way. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. So usually we think of all weapons as destructive and they are right in this world. Weapons are destructive. Here's the one sword that's constructive. Yeah. This sword builds up because it is in service of the truth. It's in service of the gospel. It's in service of cutting through falsehood so that people can see the truth. That's how we wield the sword. We don't cut down other people. We try to build them up with the good news of the gospel. So that's a rundown of this armor of God. But as we close out this series on Ephesians, Paul has one last plea, and we'll get to that in just a moment. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork Conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, let's dive right back into Ephesians 6, starting at verse 18. And it says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So we're getting to the, this is the basically the last part of Ephesians, the whole letter, and we come to prayer. And I love it, Daryl. I mean, he basically says, pray all the time and pray about everything. I mean, Paul doesn't put any limits. He doesn't say pray about spiritual things. or you know, He says, no, all kinds of prayers and requests. Anything you want to pray about, sky's the limit. I think, Scott, I know that you said in the last segment that the sword is the only offensive weapon, but I think that prayer is often a forgotten Mm -hmm. weapon in this whole armor piece because he wouldn't ask you to use it on all occasions if it wasn't. It could be offensive. It could be defensive. But in any occasion, we're supposed to communicate to God and allow God to communicate to us. And I mean, Jesus gave us a prayer, the Lord's prayer, give us this day our daily bread. That's part of what we're supposed to be communicating to God. We pray for sick people. We pray for healthy people. We pray when times are up and when times are down. 
We pray for the persecuted, that they can stand strong with that very armor of God. And we pray for those who aren't persecuted, that they don't get complacent, right? Uh, we pray for, yeah, as you just said, spiritual things, your kingdom come, and earthly things, daily bread. You know, as I breathe, I pray, an old hymn says. That's Paul's idea. But, Daryl, it's interesting. Paul has a more personal request, too. While you're praying, everyone, for all the things, pray for me. Hmm. Pray that I proclaim the gospel good news fearlessly as I should. And when Paul says, hey, by the way, pray for me, I don't think it's just something that he wants to do with some piety or some spiritual act. I think he really has some deep need that he wants them to lift up to the Lord. Don't know about you, Daryl, but uh, if I ask somebody to pray for me, and if I then get specific and say, and pray about this, right, it's probably because this is something I'm struggling with oh, yeah. or something where I feel weak or some area where I've given in to sin too often. And so I say, you know, pray for me, you know, pray that I, you know, whatever, right? But it's got to come from my feeling like I need the prayer because I'm maybe struggling or tempted to struggle in exactly this area. So Paul has no illusion about who he is, except the fact that when we read about Paul, we think he's a superhero. We think he has superpowers, but he is human. He has been beaten. He has been flogged. He has been jailed. He has been abused for the sake of Christ. And also in in Acts 9, God says, this is the one who's going to suffer much for my name's sake. And Paul remembers that. And he says, that could be intimidating because I don't love beatings. I don't look forward to being jailed. So he's needing a, this is a true prayer request for Paul. And I like what you said there, Daryl, because indeed, we tend to think that all of the apostles, Paul, Peter, James, John, the lot, were you know, super brave. They, you know, once the Holy Spirit of Pentecost came on them, no problem. They just preached. Uh, that's not true. You know, and we know they struggled. I mean, uh, I think in a series on Acts a while back, we saw that Peter had been told to accept all the Gentiles and not make them Jews first. And he followed that until he was in the presence of some Jews, and then he, he held back, yeah. and he kind of reverted. And Paul calls him on it and said, you know better than that. That's so, after Pentecost. That's after Pentecost, well after Pentecost, right? So Paul's human, and he knows that he can get scared. He can be intimidated. And so this should be encouraging for us because you know, sometimes when, when I feel shy about witnessing or standing up for something, I think, oh, if only I had the faith of Paul. Not true. Paul needed prayers, too. So I think this is encouraging for all of us who are also human (laughs) and are tempted to pull back a little bit out of fear. And I think the second thing it means is that no fear and hesitancy don't have to have the last word. You're going to feel fear. You're going to feel pressure. I know every preacher who's ever preached, they have this trepidation that says, "Okay, God, don't send me up there to preach if you don't give me a word to Mm. preach. And Paul is telling everybody, put this armor on, but he knows he needs to also put the armor on as a model, as an example. He depends on God and asks for support, and so should we. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, I talk about preachers. We're both preachers. And there's a sense in which it doesn't really matter how long you've been doing it. There is this not hesitation, but a little thing in the pit of your stomach whenever every you get time. into the pulpit. Every time. Every you want, time. Not, not only just because you want to get it right, but because you know the stakes are so high. And preaching takes a lot out of you. I mean, a lot of people are amazed at how tired I report I am after I preach. It's like it's because it's not just physical. Exactly. There's a spiritual thing going on there. I'm not looking for sympathy, but it, but it is true that we all need courage. We all need the grace that comes because we all do face opposition. I mean, uh, not not 
of people in our congregation who might disagree with the sermon. There are spiritual powers that don't want us to preach. Exactly. Uh, and every time we have to rely on the Spirit to overcome that fear, trepidation, hesitancy, shyness, whatever it might be. You just named a lot of those reasons why we need to put our full armor of God on. Mm. That full armor will keep us safe. It will help us to withstand all these oppositions that come to us, whether natural or spiritual. But we also, it explains why we need to pray for one another yeah. um, so that the mystery of the gospel that God has proclaimed may continue because Paul needs it to continue to proclaim it. We need the prayer so we can continue to proclaim it. And we do all this under the benediction of God, don't we? Exactly. And a benediction is exactly how Paul ends this letter in Ephesians 6, verses 23 and 24. And we'll end our series with this same one. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Amen. Thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your host, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we continue to dig deeply into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. Connect with us at GroundworkOnline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or to tell us what you'd like to hear next discussed on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.